Well, thanks again for being here today. We've got lots of people watching online. We've got lots of new folks in the room. Thanks for being here. Again, if you've got just a moment right after the service and you're new around here, we'd love to meet you and just shake your hand and say thanks for being here today. And if you've been around here a long time, you know our heart is that anybody's welcome, that everybody's welcome here, that none of us have it together, none of us are perfect, that we're all in this process of growing in Christ. And so today, if you have a Bible or if you've got a device that's got the Bible app on it, I'm going to invite you to follow along today. And if you've got one of the little handouts that says message notes, I'm going to invite you to write down a few things today. So to borrow from Pastor Chuck, if you've got pen, pencil, mascara, have you all heard him say that before? You got pen, pencil, mascara, Crayola or blood. I'm going to invite you to write down a couple of things this morning. I thought that'd be funny. It wasn't. That's a great way to start. Courtesy laugh. I'm going to invite you to write down some things because honestly, today's message or today's topic isn't one that's a lot of fun, right? If you see it, right? The trials that test us. Nobody's like, hey, this is going to be awesome. Let's talk about trials today. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I hope I'll be tested today. Nobody wants that. Nobody likes that. It's not a lot of fun. But the reason why I want to teach on this today and the reason why I feel so compelled that this is the message for us as a family, for us as Sugar Hill, this community of faith that we have here, is honestly because this is something that's come up in a lot of conversations I've had recently. Man, I've got a lot of friends that feel like they're in the middle of a trial. They're like, man, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I, I don't know why I'm dealing with this. And so they're in the middle of it right now. And the truth is we're all going to have that. It's not if we're going to have trials that test us. The question is, when are we going to have the trials that test us? The question is not if it's going to happen. The question is, what are we going to do in it? And honestly, a lot of people aren't prepared for it. A lot of people don't walk into the day expecting it. A lot of people don't understand what it's about. And if we're not careful, these trials will test us and we'll end up in a place we never thought we'd be. We'd end up doing something we never thought we'd do. We'd end up further away and we end up getting bitter and we end up getting angry and we end up thinking, why did this happen? And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about a specific type of trial. I wanna talk about something that specifically happens in our life. And it's not usually for a season, though I, I, I guess, I suppose it could be for a season, but it's usually a moment. It's usually an instant. It's usually a situation, not a, not a season, but a situation, a, an encounter that catches us off guard, an encounter that we didn't see coming, an encounter that we've never thought we'd end up in and we never thought we'd react the way that we did. It is a situation that is called sifting. It's a situation called sifting. It's a situation where we're dropped in the moment that we end up getting tested that we walk through it and it's designed to separate what is real from what's not real, from what is uh, uh, firm from what is fluff. It's designed to sift the good from the bad. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, look at it in Luke chapter 22. There are four verses that tell us what we need to know about sifting. The, the, this is Jesus in the upper room. Jesus has just had his last meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's gathered them together. They're having this meal. These are his last words before he's betrayed. These are his last words before he goes to the crucifixion. These are important words. 
And so Jesus has served them. He's washed their feet. He's given them food and drink, and he's given a great significance, saying, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. It's an amazing moment. And then Jesus says, and by the way, one of you is going to turn your back on me. One of you is going gonna, is gonna to betray me. And in the middle of that moment, the serious, heavy, weighty moment, this moment that, man, is an intimate moment with Jesus himself. He says, and by the way, one of you is going to betray me. And what do these guys end up debating? They end up fighting about who's the greatest, They end up fighting about who's going to be the most important in the kingdom. They totally missed the moment. They're young in their faith. They've been following Jesus for three and a half years, but they still have a lot of growing in the middle of that context of you guys still don't fully understand. You guys don't understand what leadership and kingdom authority is all about. And so Jesus turns to Peter, one of the most vocal followers of him. And listen to what he says in verse Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. There's our word sift, S-I-F-T. He says, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Look at verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, and Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. This is a situation. It didn't last long. It was just a moment. It's not a season. It's just a situation. It didn't take weeks. It didn't take months. It was just a moment. And I'm telling you, throughout our lifetime, there's going to be moments like this. We're gonna end up in situations we didn't see coming. We're gonna end up in situations that we never thought we'd end up in. And in that moment, we're gonna be sifted. And so I want us to understand it. I want us to see it. I want us to learn how to walk through it. This is such a big deal to me. Is we, I actually taught on this idea several, several years ago, but I'm telling you, so many of us are walking through this right now. And so if you've got something to write with, I'm going to ask you to write down five words that describe this. Five, five little phrases that I hope will help you navigate it. Five little phrases that you can hang this truth off of so that you're not shocked by it, so that you're not caught off guard by it, so that you can see it coming and come through it. Okay, and the first word that describes sifting is number one, it is predicted. It's predicted. In other words, it's going to happen. Again, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. It is going to happen. It is predicted by God himself. Look at verse 34 again. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus is not guessing. He's not, well, maybe this will happen. He's not, well, well, this might happen sometime. No, he's not guessing. He's saying, I am predicting, Peter, that this is going to happen in your life. And I would make that prediction to us as well. I mean, in fact, when you back up to the early verses, when, when Jesus says to, to, to him in verse 31, Satan demanded to have you in the original language in Greek, that's a plural. So he's literally talking about all of the disciples. He's saying, uh, this is going to happen to anybody that ever follows me. But then he zeroes in on Peter and says, Peter, here's what it's going to look like in your life. 
If you're a note taker, let me just give you some things that are true about this prediction. A, you will be sifted. It's going to happen. It it, it is going to happen in every single one of our lives that we end up in a situation that separates the good from the bad. It's just going to happen. You may be in it now. You may have just come through it. You may be about to walk through it, but I'm telling you, A, it's going to happen. And then B, it'll probably come in an area of your confidence. It'll probably come in an area of your confidence. It'll probably come in an area that you think you're strong. It'll come in an area of your confidence during crisis. So for Peter, this is something he was confident in. For Peter, this is something that he thought he would never do. So A, you will be sifted. B, it will come in an area of your confidence during a crisis. And then C, you will fail. Good news, right? Nobody's going to tweet that today. Hashtag welcome home. You're going to fail. It's not popular, but it's going to happen. But then D, you're going to be shocked by it. This is the way it is for Peter. You will be shocked by it. You'll think, I never thought I would do that. I never saw that coming. I'm not usually this way. You'll be shocked by it. But here's the truth. God's not going to be shocked. We're shocked by it when we fail. God's not. But then E, here's the last one for number one. E, you'll be better for it. You'll be better for it. You'll be more useful for the kingdom. Jesus, in this verse, he's predicting, Peter, this is going to happen. He's saying it's going to happen to us as well. We're all going to be sifted. We're all going to face situations that we feel like we're strong in. We're going to be dropped into that situation, and we're going to fail royally. We're going to be shocked by it. We're going to be like, I never saw that coming. But Jesus is going to say, it's going to happen. It's happening. It's not for bad. It's not for evil. It's happening to separate what is of God from what is not of God. So number one, it's predicted. The second word that describes this is number two, it is permitted. Sifting is allowed. It is permitted. God allows the situation of sifting to happen. If you look at verse 31, here's what it says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Satan demanded to have you. When you look that up in the original language, what it literally means is that he obtained permission by asking for it. See, if you're a believer, Satan doesn't have free reign on your life. You belong to the king. You have been bought with his blood. You belong to the kingdom of God. And so Satan can't just mess, he can't do whatever he wants to. And so in this situation, Jesus says Satan literally has obtained permission to sift you because he asked for permission. And so what that means is in the life of a believer, when sifting happens, it is permitted by God himself. And so the question is, well, why? Why would God allow that? If this is a time of tension, if this is a kind of stress, if this is a time of drama, if this is not fun, why would God allow it? Well, underneath that second point, let me give you some reasons. The first reason is this, because of your relationship with him. Because of your relationship with him. If you know God personally, at the moment of salvation, Jesus steps out of heaven And he steps into your heart and he takes up residence inside of you. And the goal of the Christian life is that we would become more like Jesus. I mean, that's why we're still here. That's why we're still on this earth. That's why we still have breath. That's why we still have a pulse today that if we're not dead yet, then God's not done with us. 
And the goal is that over our lifetime, the longer we live, the more like Jesus we become. And so the goal is that today I'd look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. The goal is that this week I'd look more like Jesus than I did last week. The goal is that this year I'd look more like Jesus than I did last year. The goal is the longer we live, the more like Jesus we look, the more like Jesus we become. And what happens is sometimes we stall out in that process. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we get into our little comfort zone and because God is more committed to us looking more like Jesus than he is our comfort, God will allow something to happen in our lives, a situation of sifting where we're run through the ringer and we begin to see where we really are. God will use it to make us more like Jesus. So A, why does he do it? A, because of our relationship. B, to get us to confront our true selves. To get us to confront our true selves. What's true about most people, and I'm in this category, is typically we overestimate where we are spiritually. We overestimate how we're doing. Most people are not good at gauging, how's my emotional health? How's my physical health? How's my spiritual health? We're not good at that, right? We're, we're, we're good at the business stuff. Are we killing it at work? We're good at all this other stuff. Are, are, are we okay there? But we're very rarely are we good at being in tune with how we're doing spiritually. And so when somebody asks us, well, how are you doing? Our first response is, ah, I'm doing good. When beneath the surface, there's this stuff going on. And usually we don't pay attention to it. Usually we don't see the warning signs. Usually we don't see until it's way too late and we fly off the handle and God will allow sifting to take place to get us to see who we really are. In the moment of sifting, Peter's like, I, I, I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I was that way. I never saw that coming. And God allowed it to happen because of his relationship so he could see who he truly was and then see to bring about lasting change. A third reason why God allows it is because he wants to bring about lasting change. He wants this not to be sentimental. He doesn't want it just to be surface. He doesn't want it just to be something that, 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 that's just there on the surface. He wants it to be lasting, not just for a season, not just for a moment, not just during the tough times, but a faith that is tried and true. I've heard somebody say it this way that the people that God generally used the greatest are the people that have generally been wounded the deepest. And sometimes we want to be used by God. We're like, God, I want you to use me, but we're not ready to be wounded. God, I want you to use me in the life of other people, but we're not willing to go through the process of sifting to get beneath the surface of sea, to bring about lasting change. And then here's the last one underneath number two, D, for the good of others, for the good of others. You can count on it. Anytime you're sifted, God is doing it so that he can use you in the life of other people. Somewhere you're going to find yourself down the road. Somewhere you're going to find yourself in a situation. And there's going to be somebody that's going through something you've already been through. There's going to be somebody that's struggling in an area that you've already had to wrestle with. And the goal is that you would take what God has done in you and allow him to do it through you. That you would 
just like we talked about at the offering, to live lives with open hands, not just financially, but with our time and with our, with our availability with other people to say, I, I'm not perfect. I don't have this all figured out, but I'm going to take what God's done in me. I'm going to allow him to do it through me. I'm going to encourage somebody else. He'll do that. Why does he allow it to happen? Because of your relationship, because he wants to bring about lasting change, it's because he wants to use it in the lives of other people somewhere. God's going to use this. So number one, it's predicted. It's going to happen. Number two, it's permitted. God allows it, not for our bad, not for our harm, but for our good. And then number three, it is planned. If you're taking notes, just write down that third one. It is planned. So when he says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. This brought imagery to his mind. For some of you, when I talk about sifting, you've got a picture in your mind. You've got this picture of separating. Maybe you don't have the wheat and the chaff kind of picture. Maybe you just got the baking in the kitchen kind of deal where you're throwing all this flour and stuff into this little sifter and you're cranking it, you're cranking it, you're cranking it. And on the other end, it's coming out fine powder, fine powder, perfect, ready to be used. But in their day and age, this was a common imagery. To say there's wheat and chaff and they look alike. They look a lot alike, but you got to separate what is valuable from what's not valuable. And so that process involved a lot of stress. That process involved a lot of turmoil. That process wasn't nice and neat and pretty. It was cutting it down. It was throwing it up in there. It was the wind going through, right? There was a lot of stress and turmoil in the process of sifting. And so it is in our life. Sifting doesn't feel fun in the moment. It doesn't feel great in the moment, but it's something that is planned. And the reason why God plans it and the reason why God allows it and the reason why he brings us through the ringer is for our good and for his glory to place us in a position of greater use. Let me use Peter as an example. Let me show you how it's planned in Peter's life. It happens in an area of our strength. Peter's perceived area of strength is, I would never deny Jesus. Jesus, I would never leave you. I would never betray you. I would go to the cross with you. I mean, Peter's the guy that in the garden, when the soldiers show up, he chops the guy's ear off. I mean, he's bold. He's loud. He's, he's like a front runner when it comes to the disciples. And yet, when you read in Matthew chapter 27, you read the account where there's three people that accuse Peter. There's three people that come up to Peter. They're like, you're the one. You used to run with Jesus. And Peter says, no, 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 no. It's not me to this little girl. And then a woman comes up to him and says, no, by your accent, I know that you're one of those disciples. And Matthew 27 says that he cursed at her and he cursed at God. He shook his fist and said, no, I never knew him. I don't know who he is. And the third person comes along and he says, I tell you for the last time, I don't know him. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And he's in this courtyard where Peter looks up and he sees Jesus. Jesus is passing by. He makes eye contact with them. Peter, you've always had it in you. Peter, you never saw it coming. But Peter... It's always been there. And Matthew says in Matthew 27 that Peter wept bitterly. 
He didn't have just a little tear. Just, he wept bitterly at his core. He was rattled at his core. He's like, God, I, I didn't know it was in me. God, I, I didn't know it was there. God, I, I guess I've always been that way. I, I, I've had it in me to betray you all along. God, I'm much weaker than I thought I was. And it's in that moment when Jesus locks eyes with them that it's like, Peter, it's always been there, but Peter, I can now use you. See, one of the things that I think is really true is that a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. There comes this moment in our lives that our faith is rattled. There comes this moment in our life where there's stress and there's drama and there's something that we never saw coming. And God drops us into that situation to get us to see what is of him and what is not. One of the areas that we get sifted is in the area of faith. There's a lot of people that grew up around church and they grew up around the things of God and so they sort of know the verbiage and they know the language and they sort of know it in their heads, but sometimes there's a disconnect between our heads and our hearts. And so I've met people that, man, they thought of themselves as people of great faith. I would never doubt Jesus. I'd never question God. I would never doubt my faith. I've always sort of grown up around the things of God. I've always sort of prayed at meals. I've always sort of tried to do the right thing. And then God allows a moment in their life, a situation where they're sifted and they begin to have to look at their faith and say, do I just have faith in my head or do I have it in my heart? Do I have a faith that's my own personal walk with Jesus? Do I have my own walk? Not my grandmother's, not my mom's, not my youth pastor, not my pastor's. Do I have a faith that's real and personal? It's something positive where God gets us to see our faith. Another area that this happens a lot is in the area of relationships. And this is true in all kinds of relationships. It's true in friendships. It's true in dating. I, I, I know I've got lots of friends that are single. And man, along the way, they'll think, man, I want to keep God first. I want God to be the priority of my dating relationship. And then somewhere along the way, there's this gravitational pull away from God. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I don't understand it. All, all the desires in me say rush ahead. But God, I know that you know me better than I know me. I know that you've got plans for me. So God, I'm going to trust you. And then somewhere along the way, they begin to drift into unhealthy patterns in their relationship. And God's God allows there to be a moment where you see where you really are. This happens in marriages where you look around and you're like, man, all of these people, man, they've got marriages that are on the rocks and all these people, man, they're, they, they, they end up cheating on their spouse. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll think, man, I, I, I would never do that. I'm much too strong for that. I'm much too committed. I would never allow anybody or anything to get in between me and my spouse for the rest of my life. And yet I've seen it over time. What happens is people drift over time. They make commitments in their work life. They make commitments even in their kids' lives and they forget to make deposits in the relationship with their spouse and before they know it, they end up years and years and years later and that relationship is thin and God will allow a moment, a situation to say, man, something's not right here. It's not right, it's planned. Sometimes it comes in the area of belief. There's some people that say, well, of course I believe God. Of course I know him. And yet something will come along the way that begins to shake it. Where, where people are like, man, I've always been religious. I've always sort of had the, and man, God allows this to happen. And here's what's interesting. Is that Satan asked permission to do this. Jesus allows him to do it. 
right? Both Satan and God both use sifting, but the difference is Satan wants to bring you down and Jesus wants to make you stronger. God wants to make you more useful for the kingdom. And so it's planned. And then number four, it's protected. It's protected. Listen to what Jesus says. So Jesus is saying this to Peter. Peter, I'm telling you, Satan's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But listen to verse 32. Listen to this first phrase. But. That's a very important word in this passage. It's this mark of delineation where it's like what happened before isn't as big a deal as what's coming behind. Does that make sense? It's like, I'm not stopping here, Peter. I'm not just saying you're going to fail and that's it. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 32. But I have what? I've prayed for you. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Man, one of the things that you can be sure of in the middle of moments of sifting is, man, will you fail? Yes. Is that failure final? No. Will you let yourself down? Yes. Does it mean you have to stay there? No. Jesus is looking at this powerful man in scripture and says to Peter, Peter, you're going to fail. It's going to be an area that you never thought you would fail in. It's going to be an area that you thought you were stronger in, but it's going to help you. But Peter, listen, I have prayed for you. And let me just pause and say, I've got a lot of people that say that they'll pray for me. My grandmother's like, I, I pray for you every single morning. My wife, she pray. I, I love when people say, I'm praying for you. But let me just say, if I could only have on my list one person to pray for me, guess who I want on that list? This is when it's okay to have the church answer of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is looking at Peter and says, but I have prayed for you. If there's anybody that you want on your prayer list praying for you, I think it's Jesus. He kind of knows how it works, doesn't it? Doesn't he? I mean, if you want to write down the scripture, Hebrews 7.25 says that he, even right now, lives to make intercession for you, which means that he prays for you on a 24-hour basis. He's alive. He's in heaven. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's not so concerned about somebody else's life that he's forgotten to pray for you. This is the protection that you're not doing this alone, that if you're a believer, you're not trying to figure this out yourself that Jesus is praying for you. And here's what he's prayed for Peter. He says that your faith may not fail. So Peter, you may fall, but it's not gonna be fatal. You may fail, but it's not gonna be final. You may blow it, but that's not gonna be the end of your story. It may be an ellipsis, it may be a period, it may be a comma, it may be part of your story, but that one thing, Peter, doesn't define the rest of your story. And I think that's for some of us in this room this morning. Some of us watching online and listening this week. That sometimes we allow these moments to define the rest of our lives. But I'm telling you, it is possible to come out of this. It is possible for there to be something positive. It's possible for there to be lasting change. Jesus says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brother. So here's the last word. The fifth word that describes this is this one little word, promise. Promise. The promise that Jesus makes to Peter is he says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. The promise is 
that God will restore you. The promise is that God can still use you. The promise is that God isn't done with you. Again, what we said earlier, if we're not dead, God's not done. The enemy wants to make you think, well, it's too late. You've gone too far. You've done done too much. There's no way it could be good again. And I would just say the promise is that God can still use you. The way that you fail at sifting is by failing to admit that you've blown it. The people that fail at this is when they try to act like they didn't mess up, when they try to sweep it under the rug, when they try to act like it's not really a big deal, when they try to make excuses. I meet people all the time that make excuses. Well, I'm not ordinarily that way. I don't know what came over me. It was just because of the stress at work and the drama in my family. And and they make all of these excuses. But man, I've seen what happens when somebody owns the sifting in their life, when they own the trial they went through. Is it fun? No. But can it be good? Absolutely. Man, God can restore you. The promise of God is that he will restore you and that he can use you. Did that happen for Peter? Absolutely. His name was changed from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And Jesus says to Peter on another occasion, he says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on the rock of your faith. In the book of Acts, Peter gets up in front of people and over 3,000 people get saved. Was Peter's life over? Absolutely not. Did God use him? Yes, but he had to own it. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at at this. I don't know where this hits you, but I do know that I've seen it in my own life and I do know that I've seen it in countless conversations over this last month. And the way that you would fail at this today is to sweep it under the rug and say, you know what? I'm just gonna ignore this. But the way that we pass this trial that tests us is to own it. God, I'm so sorry. God, I never saw it coming, but God, would you forgive me? God, would you restore me? God, would you help me to, whatever that area is, God, in the area of my faith, God, would you give me a faith that's true, that's tested, that's trustworthy? God, would you give me a relationship that's real, not just one I talk about, but a real personal relationship with you? God, would you work in my marriage? Would you help us to strengthen the most important earthly relationship in our life? God, in my work, God, would you help me to live and to work as if I'm working every single day for you? God, in the church, God, would you help me to serve other people instead of putting myself first? God, would you help me to follow the model of you in the upper room, that you are the most powerful person on this planet, and yet you use that power to serve somebody else? God, would you put somebody in my way to serve today? And so this morning, if you're here, if you're sifted, would you turn to him? Would you turn to him? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? I want to invite you to pray with me and to pray for what God's doing in your life. Even if you're watching online or listening, I invite you, if you can, to pray. And we've said it before. There's nothing magical. There's nothing necessarily significant about this area right in front of the stage, this little step that we have here. But it's really a place that we've set apart for prayer. I think it's one thing to know in our heads what God's telling us. 
and then allow that to drop out of our heads and into our hearts to stir something inside of us, but to say with our heads and our hearts and our bodies, Jesus, we're bringing this to you. So it could be in a moment when I finish praying and we stand, that when we stand, maybe you wanna stay seated and you wanna pray where you're at. But it could be that this was the word for you today. It could be that this is the thing that God brought you here. And you just wanna bring that thing, whatever that thing is. Maybe it's your faith, maybe it's a relationship. I, I don't know what that thing is, but you know. In a moment when we stand, I just invite you to come and use this step across the front as a place to kneel and to pray, to say, God, in my head, I know this is happening. My heart, man, I've got this tension. I've got all of this mixed emotion and God with my body, I'm just bringing it to you. I don't have anybody else I can turn to. I don't have anybody else I can trust. God, I bring it to you. And as we sang earlier, God, this one thing, I ask you to do what only you can do. Father, I pray for all of us. I pray for myself. I pray for all my friends in this room and those that are uh, watching from afar. God, would you help hope to rise up in this moment? That just because we failed doesn't mean it has to be final that you're in the business of reaching into the darkest, most messed up situations and still pulling something good out of it. So God, help us not to run from sifting today. Help us not run from the tough conversation that we need to have with you today. But instead of running from you, God, would you help us to run to you? God, would you help our, strength, our, our, our faith to be strengthened today? Would you help our belief in you to be strengthened today? And God, for anybody in the room that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you draw them to yourself today, that they would know you as their leader, their Lord, the boss of their life today. And God, as we stand and sing, God, I pray that you'd help the words of the song and just the, mo the movement of your spirit in this moment to help these truths not just be in our heads and on our pages today but they would drop into our hearts and cause something different to happen. In just a moment, I'm gonna finish praying. As soon as I finish praying, we're gonna stand and Hector and the team's gonna lead us in the song. I invite you to sing it. But man, this altar is open. This place of prayer is open. And man, this morning, if you feel like you're in the middle of the ringer, or maybe you're not in the middle of it, but you've seen it, I just invite you. I just invite you to come and physically leave it with him today and to use this as a place of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you help us to be strengthened today? Would you help us to learn from our sifting situations so that we could be stronger and more useful? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand together, let's sing. I'm gonna invite you not to slip out, but to stay in this moment, allow God to use this moment, these words to be powerful, these words to be our prayer. This altar's open, it doesn't take anything special, just somebody to come, just somebody to come and say, God, I'm bringing this, I'm bringing this before you. I invite you to come as we sing this today.